this place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yes. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. You are listening once again to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck. I am Doug Scott, and I'm joined by the one, the only, the late, the great, not so late QB11, Andrew. Good day to you, sir. The subliminal messaging. (laughs) (laughs) Just immediately, we're not even 30 seconds in, and I'm getting called out for being late. This is crazy. No, no, I actually, I didn't mean it like that. I meant, you know, like it's an expression like the late and the great, and I'm like, oh, but wait, that means they're dead, and you're definitely not dead. So is this is this the memorial QB11 podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, happy late Easter. Hope you had a good one. Yeah, I did. Did you? I did. We uh, went to a buffet, so had some mimosas, had a carving oh, station, that. had you know the whole the whole breakfast buffet brunch thing going on, which is always uh, you know a dangerous but also delicious. Yeah, I uh, y- you know me, I love mimosas. Um, where did you guys go? Uh, Brooks Tavern. Okay, I haven't been there before. Yeah, there's a couple of them around the area. You know, I've been there a couple of times for dinner and stuff, and they we saw one time they were there. They're having an Easter brunch buffet, and I thought, oh, okay, it's, have just, you ever, it's close by. Have you ever done the one? Uh, what's the boat in downtown Portland that goes up to Columbia? Oh, the the Sternwheeler. Yeah, have you ever done theirs? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's been a few years now. I've, I've done it a couple of times. Um, it's pretty good. It's um, it's been a while now since I've done it. Probably like eight or ten years since I've done it last. But I, I I've enjoyed it. Obviously, Salty's in portland is or used to be the gold standard they are not doing buffets anymore since covid i don't know if that's permanent or if they're eventually going to bring them back but uh i was talking with my wife we were going to set up a, a trip out there and then i found out that they were they weren't doing the buffet and i'm like i'm not going i'm not i'm not going if i can't get the buffet. i get and it's not that i want to like engorge myself on that much food i mean i kind of do but also, like, I like the variety of a buffet. Like, I like when you go to a buffet, you can get a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You can eat 20 different things. If I got to order off a menu, I get the three things on my plate. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I get that. Um, are, are, are you in a fight with, like, some frogs? Oh, you can hear that? I'll close Dude, the window. Yeah, that is crazy. This time of year, they invade my pond. Uh, and so, yeah, they get pretty crazy out there. I'll close the window. That is nuts. There's, like, an army of them out there. Don't don't mute yourself. Hold on, like the the frogs clearly have something to say. 
Oh, uh, no, they're um, going now. I mean, I closed the window. But, uh, yeah, I had a neighbor a couple of years ago that moved, um, came over and are like, can you do something about your pet frogs? <laughs> and I'm like, they're not my pets. I mean, they're just wild frogs from, you know, from the area. But they, they seem to like my pond. It was pretty cool, too. Last spring, one day we looked out the window and found a mother duck and, like, seven ducklings sitting in my little pond and my pond is not very big like it's like eight feet across but she had somehow gotten through my fence or over it they came through it she went over it um and found my little eight foot backyard pond and we're hanging out in my pond so that's kind of cool yeah that's awesome well i mean they're they're quite vocal um but that's still pretty sweet <laughs> yeah this microphone is super sensitive it's obviously picking up everything in the in the neighborhood yeah, that's kind of cool, though. Well, we um, got a late jam-packed show, QB, so we should probably start. Yeah, let's start with everyone's favorite topic, media rights and realignment, <laughs> Doug. So why don't you take it from here, because I have nothing to say. Yeah, so obviously the big news today was the Big Ten has a new commissioner. Um, they announced that earlier today, hiring uh, Petiti, his, his name. I can't remember his first name. All of a sudden, I lost it. We're just off to a bang-up start here. I don't know. I think we're doing very well. Yeah, totally prepared for this episode. Uh, Terry Petivi, I think his name is. Uh, so he has a lot of background in media, interestingly enough. So he spent a lot of time at CBS, ABC. He also worked for um, the NFL at one point in time. He's done some work with Blizzard and Activision, kind of running some of their um, online esports leagues a while back. So he's got a pretty diverse background, but primarily a lot of media background. And so... Does that mean future expansions on the table with, with the Big Ten? I tweeted this out shortly after the announcement that it's interesting they would hire a TV guy when their media rights just got done and aren't on aren't due to be done again for another seven years. Does that mean something? Does that not mean something? I guess time will tell. Well, and then so. Stuart Mandel copy-pasted your tweet. I saw that, yep, yeah, about half an hour after me. I, I'm sure he's reading my timeline, uh, stealing every word from it, so... But great minds think alike, maybe, and, and we both had the same the same thought there. It might mean nothing, but um, could mean something as well. So I think that what's interesting, too, is at the same time this is happening, there's kind of been a renewed amount of chatter around around the, the Twitterverse and the message board worlds and the, the general internet rumor areas around potentially Colorado and Arizona heating up to take a move to the Big 12 potentially being that being a reactive move and not a proactive move so reactive to what reactive to news that maybe there's more teams leaving the conference they're currently in who knows but those are things that that may or may not be tied together so i think there's there's definitely info i also saw another rumor that potentially jim phillips and his re re-upping with the ACC for another extension, that potentially there's interest that the ACC may be interested in coming after some of the PAC schools, particularly the Northwest and Bay Area schools and maybe Utah. So that's another thing that's out there that could could also be pushing Colorado and Arizona to make a move. So whether all these things mean anything, come to anything um, or not, I guess is the question on the media rights front. No news continues to be the story of the day. And, oh, by the way, now we're not expecting anything until June. So, you know, that the Pac-12 is being two weeks away from getting a deal. Um, went, you know, over and over and over again for the last two months. has now gone to two months away from getting a deal. So 
that certainly doesn't seem positive for the Pac-12. I mean, there's ways you can spin it as, you know, whatever. Oh, it takes time. Apple hasn't done this kind of deal before. Blah, blah, blah. They're doing a deal with Ion. They're doing a deal with the C-Dub, C-Dub network. Who knows? I don't know what to believe anymore. I, I, I don't think I believe any of it. <laughs> so um, if the Pac-12 survives and gets a deal, I, maybe we'll all just be... I mean, it's got to be some combination of all the various rumors that have come out about what deal they're going to get, but I don't know which combination I would predict at this point anymore. Yeah, I I think at this point it's like, what is the structure of the conference even going to be? Like, we're going to know that well before a deal gets announced. Like, if schools like Arizona and Colorado bounce, or that's probably a a prefix to something bigger happening with Oregon and Washington in the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, I certainly as an Oregon fan, that that would be the hope, right? And it, it's so funny when I, when I debate or argue or have dialogue, I guess if you will, with with Big Twelve people online, and it's the Big Twelve people are really interesting because they're they're so Big Twelve homer. Like, I mean, they're just they're so crazy. Like, I've never seen someone celebrate so hard for finishing a distant third, or maybe tied for third. <laughs> Like it, it's crazy how high they're riding right now uh, on what really hasn't even happened yet outside of, you know, they signed a media deal extension. Right. And, but now they think they're like, they're, they're the, they're part of the power three. They keep they're We're the third group of the power three. I'm like, no, it's a power two. And the rest are just like out there. So great. You've got a media deal. You're stable, but you're, you're not in the power two. Sorry. Not sorry to, to inform you but it's an interesting group and every time i talk about these things they accuse me of being a pac-12 homer and and start like oh what kind of deal you're gonna get i'm like look i don't i don't i'm not supporting the pac-12 i'm not defending the pac-12 here the pac-12 has made mistake after mistake after mistake and and my biggest wish is for oregon to get out of this dumpster fire into a better more permanent uh situation somewhere else so i am certainly not rooting for the pac-12 i'm rooting for oregon yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm at the same spot as you on this. It's just a matter of, um, I think that we, like, we had gotten hints last, I think last winter that it was going to be this spring is when, if there was any additional movement, this it was going to take place, right? Like, um, USC and UCLA were always going to be the first dominoes, and that was the, like, the natural order of operations. And so now with the new commissioner in place with the Big Ten, we're going to find out what their what their move is. Like, are they going to continue? Um, at 16 or are they going to look to expand to 18 and then likely beyond once the ACC crumbles here in a few years? Yeah. And if we go back to an episode, we probably did a month or so ago, you know, we talked about this, right. That like all the groundwork, it's not like this guy's going to come in and all of a sudden start the ball rolling on any additional expansion, right? All of that groundwork has been laid for the last year. If they're, you know, I mean, vetting schools like Oregon and Washington, potentially some others from the PAC 12, uh, you know, the president's doing their diligence, deciding what they want to do, um, work with any potential network partners on an additional package that would, you know, bring more money to support that. Like all of that work has been done behind the scenes. It's not ever stopped. Right. But what we've also heard clearly loud and clear is that there's not going to be any movement on this front until until Warren is gone and the new commissioner is in place. So you know, it's, it's, it's a ball that he could now pick up and run with, but ultimately he's not the decision maker, right? It's the president's. And if the president support it and have the, 
the the money to support it from TV networks, then then they can make that move, and and he'll be he'll be the face of it. But he's not the one driving all of this behind the scenes. It's not like the, the work starts now, right? It's now just finish the play if that's if that's the play they want to make. So I would expect you're right. I think something's going to come out one way or the other. I mean, if if Oregon doesn't get announced to the Big Ten, let's say by you know certainly by June, sometime in June, if not if not sooner, then it's not happening. And I would, and I would expect May might be the better, the more realistic timeline. But, um, you know, we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, I think that that's kind of what's going to end up playing out, right? Is if something were to happen sooner, like if the dominoes were to fall out of order, and let's just say Arizona, the four corner schools bailed, then I think it just kind of leads on what what's inevitable at that point. Yeah, and and I was having this conversation with somebody earlier. If if that happens, and if two if two of the four corner schools or all four of the four corner schools or some combination of schools leave to go to the big 12 and that's announced first, it doesn't mean it's the first domino. And then all of a sudden the big Ten's picking up scraps. It could mean that those schools know that the big 10 is taking some schools from the North, from the Northwest. And therefore they're reacting to that, even though it may, they may become public first. Right. So who knows? Yeah. Cause I mean, here's the deal. Oregon Washington would be the two biggest brands in the big 12 or the PAC 12. So I think that ultimately those four corner schools are more tied to what Oregon and Washington do than they are to media negotiations. And that lines up with everything that's publicly been said by, by all 10 schools in the PAC 12, right? Like, you know, we've talked about this a lot. I mean, if, if all of a sudden there's been a sea change of momentum from Arizona and Colorado, particularly to move to the big 12, what's changed? What's changed is that, they're hearing they're hearing other things, right? So there there's not ten schools to stay aligned with anymore. Like they're not gonna all of a sudden leave this week because they're still waiting on T V numbers. There's plenty of time for T V numbers to come in. Yeah, I mean what's driving those T V numbers is what's gonna ultimately decide what, what uh league these schools are in. Like like what brands are gonna be around for the T V deal is gonna decide where they go and what and what best value is. Yeah, I think at some point we we need to do a show maybe after all the dust settles on this round of, of media rights and realignment and we know where things stand here in the next couple months, but we need to do a show talking about the next round because that's when I think the future of college football and college sports for that matter is going to be decided, right? It's it's going to happen in right around 2030 to 2032, somewhere in that range, right? So when the Big Ten's next deal comes up, when the ACC is starting to get closer to the end of their deal and those those teams have an easier path to get out of it, when the SEC is looking at their next deal in 2034, the Big 12 in 2031, what is, you know, we'll have four or five years of data, six years of data on the expanded playoff, and what does that look like? And, and what is the new landscape of, sports media look like right i think they're going to be a ton of change in 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 that space over the next five to six years as well so this next five to six years is going to really be in my mind the transition and setup period for what is ultimately going to decide what everything looks like you know beyond that which is coming in about you know 2030 2031 range and and we should talk about that in depth but on a future episode Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, let's move on. Uh, the Oregon Ducks got a new commit this week. Um, kind of a big time player out of Texas. So, uh, uh, Coach Hampton, Coach Chris Hampton, and Dan and Tosh dipped into Texas to bring a safety commit out. He's six foot zero. Um, Aaron Flowers out of Forney High School in Forney, Texas. Uh, this kid's a top one hundred, top one fifty level level commit, uh, top ten safety in the country in this class. So big time get for for the Ducks at a at a position of of real need. And we've talked about, and we're going to talk in depth about the safety room today. So it's good timing on that. But you know. Can you tell us a little bit about Flowers and what do you like about him? Yeah, Flowers is an interesting prospect because he brings like I, I I would almost consider him more of a DB. Like I don't like he's I think he'll end up playing safety at Oregon. Um, I don't know if that's going to be deep or nickel. He's got a corner skill set like in terms of athletic profile. His um, his stop start is just how fluid he is. His change of direction. He reminds me a lot of Javon Holland in that way. Like Holland was a guy that like they had considered. And even cross trained at corner early in his career, and then he ultimately ended up playing deep safety for Levitt. And then when Avalos came in as the defensive coordinator, they moved him up to the nickel because he was one of the better players in the box and a really reliable tackler. Um, and Flowers is very similar in that way. He's got exceptional body control. He can cover out wide. Um, he's got good range and instincts playing in the box. Like the, I think the the body control he shows to like come to balance and finish tackles in space. Um, remind me a lot of Holland, probably the most similar prospect to Javon Holland that we've had since then. Um, and I think that this kind of goes in line with the work that Coach Pallage had started before he left for Baylor, uh, and now with Coach Hampton on, on the staff and, and the direction that uh, Coach Lanning and Coach Meat and everybody wants to go with the defensive back room. And so um, I think the versatility is really great. I think that it's always awesome when you can combine a cornerback athlete with a safety skill set um, because in terms of like what that does for your play caller um, and the ability to mix and match coverages um, play with different lineups like you don't worry about a guy like flowers getting isolated on a tight end you also don't worry about him getting isolated on a slot receiver and so a um, lot of a lot of positional versatility again really strong tackler i think he's got a good frame that'll fill out nice over time Yeah, that's really good to hear. And I think, like I said, we're going to talk about the safety room in depth here today. But I think that positional versatility is huge. I love, I mean, I, I haven't comped him to, to Holland. You're kind of comping him to Holland in, in some ways. Not saying he's, you're not saying he's Javon Holland. You're saying he has a similar skill set. So just so before listeners get all like freaked out. Yeah, um, no, I'm definitely like, yeah. I don't think the expectation should be like, think about how good Holland was as a true freshman, right? Like he was probably one of our best players. Um, but I'm just saying that in the sense that, he is like a very talented and like, but he's also like one of those guys that you just know you're not just projecting him based off physical school skills. Like you're looking at his like actual toolkit as a player and like the balance and body control he plays with. He's a good football player at this stage. So he's a guy that like, if I had to guess, I think he'll probably be a, an early contributor um, just because the way he plays the game and just the, the natural instinctive skill set that he possesses. And quite frankly, I think that's something that Oregon needs to a degree, right? We've talked a lot about the oh, yeah. the, the the need to up you know, to up the athleticism 
um, in that room. Obviously, the guys that are going to be heavy in the rotation at, at the safety and nickel positions this year are upperclassmen. You know, guys who aren't going to be around. You know, maybe this season only, maybe one more beyond. And and you know, behind that, there's there's some question marks. I mean, there's some younger guys on the roster that have been recruited in, in the last two classes that that may be contributors. But I don't think in either of the last two classes you would say we've the Ducks have have signed a guy with this type of upside. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think um, like the places that this program wants to go and I think you and I have had this conversation offline here recently, just about like the defense for next year and expectations that we have for that unit. And it's like, there's a lot of good players, but we don't have those like, like when, when Javon Holland and KT and we had those guys on the defense, it was, we have like bona fide like studs. Like these guys are these guys are playmakers, um, and these are guys these are high impact players. Right now, I think we have a lot of good players, uh, but not guys that are going to consistently make that impact. And I think that Flowers has the upside and the the projectable skill set to be one of those like elite high level players, regardless of league, um, that like makes a substantial impact on the way a game is played. Yeah, and, and just going back to the recruiting front a little bit, you know, this is a guy that, quite honestly, was a flip. Um, you know, he wasn't committed to USC, but all the momentum was USC, um, uh, you know, up until like 48 hours before his commitment, right? I mean, all the crystal balls were on USC. I think, you know, Justin had, had crystal balled him to USC himself, said it looks like he's going to USC. And it, it sounds like Dan himself really, really, really won this one. Uh, in those final couple days, right? And, and then when you saw that, when you read the interviews with Flowers and you read what he said and his coaches have said, like, it looks like Dan just pulled out all the stops. Tosh was involved. Obviously, Chris Hampton was involved, knowing, you know, knowing him for as long as he has back at, back from Texas, to, you know, you know, it was a team effort. Um, but really, really credit to the staff for, for reeling this one in at the 11th hour and getting a guy to essentially flip from, from the Trojans to the Ducks. So, Big recruiting win. And when you think about where he came from, like I think it's an even bigger get with what you lost in Coach Pallage, right? Because we all kind of assumed that Coach Pallage was kind of the keys to Texas. Um, and now with Coach Hampton being here and Coach Pallage being back in Texas at Baylor, um, obviously Marshall and Dan had had uh, relationships down there. And it sounds like Coach Hampton does too. But like the fact that we're stable, still able to go down into Texas and get a guy with offers from both the big in-state schools, Ohio State, USC, um, and to bring him out to Eugene is like really, it's a really impressive pickup. So good for Coach Hampton. I think it gives me a lot of confidence in our ability to maintain and sustain that that Texas pipeline that's been built here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's kind of that time of year, spring game season here, and, and there's a lot of spring games actually coming up this weekend around the country and around the conference. Um, and then over the next couple weeks, uh, Oregon spring games is, is definitely on the later side compared to most this year. They, in fact, this this coming Saturday, gosh, there's 20-something spring games. Um, obviously, that includes you know group of five schools and whatnot. But but there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, Arizona, Cal, uh, South Carolina, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, Georgia, Virginia Tech, USC, Ole Miss. North Carolina, Arizona State, Tennessee, like all these teams have their spring games this weekend, Penn State. So it, it's a big spring game weekend. Um, 
a lot of that's going to be fun to watch, I think, and, and over the next couple of weeks as well. But from a recruiting standpoint, what you're seeing is some of those dominoes, you know, start to fall as we're in spring ball, spring, um, you know, spring game season. A lot of kids are getting on campus. You know, I think this is kind of a real hot time in the recruiting calendar, you know, with unofficial visits for sure. As we've seen the last few years, a lot of these kids want to get out to schools and, and watch the practice. They want to see how the team operates in practice. The spring game, too, is great. Like, yeah, they want to come and watch the game, but like... I think it's underrated, you know, kind of a little bit how much these guys like to come out and, and kind of see the operation, sit in on the team meetings, go to the practices. And I know the Ducks have had a lot of guys on campus the last couple of weeks, and, and it's really going to ramp up as we get toward the end of this month. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that visitor list that's coming together for the spring game itself is pretty ridiculous. Like you have four or five star edge players coming into town. Um so like that's just an example a player like kj bolden um and it seems that oregon's going to have a quarterback by the time the spring game rolls around so that'll be um an interesting thing to monitor as well with van buren coming in this week um and then moga uh, just having been here and then announcing immediately after following that his uh his commitment date so uh, i think that uh, moga is going to be the guy and i think it's a really nice pickup when the time comes yeah, I was going to mention, I think Van Buren's uh, committing, I think, later this week or this weekend, uh, or after this weekend, I think he's visiting Oregon this weekend, and then um, Moga's going to visit on the 22nd and then commit the following week. So, uh, yeah, I mean, all signs seem to be pointing toward Moga, but those are the two guys in the in the final two there for Oregon, and I think uh, I think you're right. I think one will be in the, in hand before the spring game, which is a really nice place to place for Oregon to be. I think there's some other buzz around some other potential commitments um, in the program over the coming weeks. And of course, you know, Justin covers that really well over on Scoop Deck all the time. Uh, the other thing is the portal opens in four days, QB. The transfer portal window will be open, not just for Oregon, but for everybody. So people yeah. can hit the portal in starting Saturday. So how many do we need to lose? Six? We're still six over. Yep. Seven if you want to bring in a tight end? Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So ultimately, I think it'll probably end up being seven, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I think that depends on if there's a tight end to be had, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, like, is it Epps, the kid from USC? Like, I think that at, with where we're at from a depth perspective at tight end, especially with Sadiq being considered a tight end, but being more of like a detached hybrid player at this stage, I think that there's, like, even if it's a one year rental, it's worth using the spot if there's a tight end out there. Yeah, I would have to think if they're going to bring in a tight end, it's going to be more of an inline, more of a blocking tight end, if you will. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair assumption. I, but I think, again, as long as they can play, like if if they are more of a pass catcher, it's fine. We just like If something were to happen to Ferguson right now, we'd be in a real bind. Yeah, that's true, too. That's true, too. All right, shall we uh, get to some spring ball talk? Yeah, you want to jump into uh, listener questions first or spring ball? Yeah, let's do spring ball. We'll, we'll finish right. with questions at the end. I got gotcha. you. Uh, so Ducks are about five practices through, so about a third of the way through the spring ball. Again, a little bit behind where other teams, um, where the other teams probably are in that schedule. Most of the, a lot of other teams are in that schedule. So five down, ten to go. The spring game counts as a practice, and then I know they're going to have one practice after the spring game. So. They are scrimmaging this Saturday. It'll be their first scrimmage of the season. I think that'll be about the halfway mark of spring ball. I think they're on, if they'll have a practice, 
they practice today. They'll practice again on Thursday for practice six, and then practice seven will be the spring game. I'm sorry, the, the scrimmage on Saturday, and then uh, then they'll be back out at the following week. So it's really that kind of crucial point of, of spring ball where guys are going to start to separate themselves. I think especially coming off that first scrimmage, you're going to start seeing uh, a depth. I, we're not maybe going to see it publicly, right? But the people on team on the team and inside the team are going to start seeing that what that depth chart looks like. Am I a starter? Am I a second string? Am I not in the rotation at all? And I think that's really going to then inform the second half of spring practices, how that plays out. And quite frankly, you know, who are those six people that might find their way to the portal? And that and that may that may not wait until the end of spring ball. I mean, maybe um, they might want to get film right during the during the rest of practice and during the spring game itself to put on tape as they go into the portal. Um, but it could be they're making the decisions even though they don't announce right away. Yeah, I mean, again, we're in a position now where like this is kind of the last opportunity to get done to eighty five. So there's going to be movement. The question is just who and at what position. Um, like I obviously there's certain spots where there's just no fat left to trim, like tight end. You've got three guys. Um and one of them. Pretty is much a true the whole freshman. offense. I don't think anybody I don't think there's really any room to trim on offense right now. Possibly a receiver, like if they're like especially if they were to add Gary Bryant. Um, but I don't Again, I don't know that at this point any of the guys that are on the roster would be looking to leave. Like these are all guys that maybe have had limited roles for longer periods of time, multiple seasons, but they're good depth pieces. So, yeah, and um, I think the guys that you might consider candidates to leave are also injured right now, so that kind of muddies the water a little bit. Yeah, that does. Um, it makes it a little bit more complex. But yeah, I agree. I think I think there's a couple spots on defense where where we could see some attrition. I don't know. I, I don't want to project that. I just want to see how things fall. Um, but I would be interested in seeing like what comes on market from a tight end perspective. Um, I don't really think there's anywhere else. Like I guess if a, a lead edge rusher jumped in the portal, um, you always are going to have room for someone like that. But I find that highly unlikely at this stage. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I don't think I don't think the Ducks are like I said, you're always going to keep your eye out there, but I don't think they're really shopping at any particular position. Um, it, w- it wouldn't really make any sense um, outside of, like you said, some some massive talent jumps in there. You're going to figure out a way to make it work, but um, doesn't seem like doesn't seem like there's a lot out there um, that they'd be looking for, and they still got a problem of getting down to six <laughs> as it is. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, a lot of the buzz around spring ball has been punter Luke Dunn. Um, you know, we've seen the, I think all the media guys have been talking about him. I think that's partly it's because the, in the 12 minutes of time they get in practice, they don't get to see a whole lot, um, but they do get to see, see guys kick. Um, I will say, I thought the little bit I saw of Luke Dunn punting gave me, um, you know, some optimism as well about improvement at that position, which is desperately needed. Oregon was a terrible punting team last year. You know, my philosophy about punting QB, I don't, I, I want to punt as, as infrequently as possible. 
But that being said, there's there's no reason not to have the best punter you possibly can. So in the in the rare cases where you do have to punt, you can punt, you can get a good one. So I think there's a lot of excitement around what what Luke Dunn might bring to that position. Yeah, I'm trying to find the words to describe just how excited I am to watch Luke Dunn punt. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm really struggling. Like I'm at a loss. I'm never excited to watch anyone punt because it means we failed on that possession. <laughs> so, um, but I, you know, can he catch the ball and kick it 40 yards? Great. And hopefully it not being returnable. That Those are my yeah. three criteria. Like you don't notice the punter until you like roll them out there in like a key situation late in a big game. And then they shank it out of bounds from your own territory. And it's like a 20 yard net punt. Right. Then you then you notice that your punter sucks, or they so. just drop the ball, they drop the snap on the five yard line. That that also causes you to notice them. Yeah, that that'll do it as well. Uh, all right, so I think you know the other spring notes. The running back room, crazy. We talked about that in our last episode. It, it's crazy depth there. I, I think any of those guys can play. I think Lachlan is going to be really challenged to find touches for a lot of people in that room. Or he's going to spread the ball around a lot. And we've talked about that. I think they're going to get, they're getting most of the run at kickoffs. So I think Bucky and Noah are, are kind of your, right now you're the two guys at the head of the kickoff return line. Now that could change when guys like Dalen Austin and Roderick Pleasant show up. Yeah. Uh, particularly Pleasant. I, I, I kind of hope it changes, but also those are reliable guys who are going to, you know, make the smart call and running backs know how to find holes. So there well, is some reason to have running backs returning kicks. Well, not only that, but like I would expect with Lachlan's room, it's not going to be a lack of ball security, right? Like they're going to be guys that you can rely on to field the ball and um, not turn it over. Which I think at this stage, with how easy it is to fair catch kickoffs, I think is almost the most important piece. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. And yeah, his guys don't uh, don't put the ball on the ground much, if at all. Uh, we talked about tight end depth a little bit. Obviously, quarterback is Bo. Ty is going to be the backup. Um, and, and, and so it's not really a whole lot of drama there. I think the you know other position battles to watch for as we get to spring game. You know, Tez, Tez and and Chris Hudson, Tez Johnson, Chris Hudson in the slot. You know, kind of what is that rotation like? Is one of them emerging? Are they both going to play a lot? I think they're both going to play a lot. But who's the starter? What does that depth look like? Who is the other depth? Who's the other depth at the outside receiver spots, right? If you if you pencil in Trayshawn Holden and Troy Franklin, you know, is a guy like Kyler Casper, you know, looking looking to get reps, you know, kind of in the backup role there, and and he's a weapon with a huge catch radius, and he's been by reports are he's been pretty active in practice, um, catching the ball. Uh, obviously, still waiting for Jerion Dickey to arrive, uh, Coach. Coach Adams shouted out Cozart today as well as another young guy who's making strides. The line, I think the line is a, is a real strength. Uh, depth of this team, there's there's a solid eight or nine guys who, who can play in the rotation on offensive line. I think it's an, it's an, I think it's a, it's a unit that other fan bases in this conference and around the country and, and media are like, Oh, the ducks have losing, they've lost four starters on the offensive line. That's a real concern. They and didn't it, lose four starters. Like I hate that. That's so annoying. <laughs> like walk was hurt. Most of the year. Jones was hurt. Most of the year. Jones is back. Jones has started what? 30 something games in his career. Um, you have Harper who started all of last year, basically. 
and then the the questions are really at tackle right and like you have josh connerly which um, i know you've been hearing similar things like has had an unbelievable spring and seems to be like the best player possibly on the offense um, at left tackle and so then it's just like all right who, who's competing for that right tackle spot and then also like very importantly is who is replacing alex forsyth's experience at center because i think there's a lot of um a lot of things that don't show up in the stat sheet or even necessarily on film to the laid fan um that forsyth did at a high level um calling out protections changing plays at the line of scrimmage um just how reliable he was and i think the the professionalism he approached the game to with um like is it going to be jackson powers johnson is it going to be marcus harper like who is going to take over that center position and, and what does that look like now like does bo take on bo nix does he take on a larger role um in in the line calls now that Forsyth's no longer around or like how does that look well at the very least it's a luxury to have him to be able to to assist with that, right? So if you have a young center in there who hasn't maybe played as much as Forsyth has, right? Even though, you know, Harper and Jackson have both played a ton. Um, it, you know, if he at least can help in a game situation with, you know, kind of backing up that, that's a real luxury to have versus if you're starting a, a rookie quarterback too at the same time you're starting a, in a new offensive line, a new center, then you're, it, you're, you don't have that same kind of checks and balance to rely on a little bit. Yeah. So like those are the things like from a performance standpoint that they like they don't show up again on film they show up in the meeting room when you know what the line calls are like what does that look like as we get into the season and we start seeing more new stuff from different teams um, but like with someone who doesn't have three years of starting experience under their belt to call the line calls yeah absolutely um, defensively you know I think the line is. You know, obviously the depth on the line is is considerable. Uh, you know, on the interior, I think the question is, you know, what is that? Who who plays and who doesn't? Especially from the younger guys, right? Who's in the rotation and who's who's going to redshirt? Because when I mean, you got Popo, you got Dorlis, you got Casey Rogers, you got Taki all back. You got Keenware Hudson back. Those are five guys who are like fifth and sixth year players in in most cases. Fourth, fifth, sixth year players who've played a ton of ball. Um, and, and you know, there's, and then you've got, but you got a, a bunch of guys behind them. You got Amari Washington, Terrence Green, Bowens, um, Ben Roberts on in year two, Mikhail Gardner coming in, right? There's just, there's a ton of dudes at that spot. I would not expect too many of the young guys to break through, but maybe there's room for one or two. Yeah. I think on the defensive line, if someone's playing young, like that means that they're just awesome, right? Like, it's like the situation when DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead came in. Like, they're going to have to be a really, really good player to crack this lineup in the interior. Um, on the edge is where I think there's going to be an opportunity because really, like, outside of Birch, I don't know where pass rush comes from on the edge. Like, as much as I love Mace Funa, um, and I, I'm glad he's back, and I think he's going to play a really significant role this year, he doesn't bring a lot of pop and, like, burst to close off the edge. Um, so is it a Blake Purchase? Is it a Mateo? Like, who, who steps into that role? Because if Oregon doesn't have that, that's going to be a problem. Uh, that could be the Achilles heel of the whole unit. Um, although I think that the defensive back room from top to bottom is probably going to be a little stronger than it was a year ago, despite losing Gonzo, who was very clearly the best player in that group, just based on the fact that you're adding an experienced starter with NFL quality like Evan Williams at deep safety. You have Tysheem Johnson coming in at the nickel. And then I think that you just have a better – 
you have, I think you have additional, you have more depth, more playable depth at corner than we did a year ago, despite that we don't have a player of of Gonzo's quality. Yeah, the top four at corner seem pretty clear to me. Kyrie Jackson, Trequez, Dante Manning, and Jaleel Florence, uh, you know, seem to be established in that top four pretty solidly at the corner position. And, and you know, I've heard some some thoughts that Jaleel may also be cross training at nickel. So I don't know if that's just you know spring cross training or if that if they're planning on hey, let's get our best guys on the field, let's have him in that spot or, or give him an opportunity. To, not, not, I'm not saying as a starter, right, but in situational, right? If he's backing up corner, like get him on the field, backing up nickel too or something like that. I mean, he's, he's long, he's got, good, he's got good quickness, like he can really cover. So it's like I think that that makes sense, and I think that it frees them up to move Kamari Terrell back to deep safety where I think his range is more useful and his frame is a better fit. Um and that's a position where you have more needs, right? I mean, obviously, I think the expected starters are Addison and Evan Williams at the deep safety at the two deep safety spots, and but be but behind them, right? You have obviously you have Steve Stevens coming back for year five, and then you know well you got you got JJ Greenfield, you got Damon David who really hasn't been with the team, and not much else. Right? You got a young guy like Tyler Turner, a true freshman, right? Maybe maybe not ready to play yet. So yeah, Terrell moving from nickel to safety, maybe add some depth that is needed at that position. Yeah. I think between that and then guys like Triquez possibly cross training, um, we'll see what the young guys, Tyler Turner, Cody DeCambra can do as spring ball kind of matures and progresses along here. Um, so it's going to be an interesting room to monitor. I think it's like outside of edge. I think that's the room that I have the least confidence in really like, like who is the next wave? Um, but I think that there's enough talent to get through and improve off of last year. But we really need to keep those like top guys, whether it's Addison or Williams or Johnson in one piece. Yeah, I agree. I think this is the room outside of the one we haven't talked about yet. I think where we could, we really need to see an uptick in play. I thought the corner play last year was was more than adequate with Gonzo and and I think Trequez did a pretty good job out there most of the time as well and Dante and Jaleel had had their moments but the corner play was was more than enough to win games you know at a high level I think the safety play and the linebacker play was where and obviously the edge play was where the defense really just got picked apart um and and this is room I, I Addison always looked good last year when he played to me and and I scratched my head at times why he didn't seem to get more reps that were going to other players instead. It seems like maybe that's something that the coaches have seen. And I'm again, I'm not saying I'm smarter than the coaches, but um, it certainly seems that's something the coaches have seen too. And he seems to be ensconced in, in one of those deep safety spots this year. And um, along with Evan, who I think was a really good portal ad. Yeah, I agree. I think that I, I just hope that like a player like Williams and a player like Johnson, that those guys can take the next step and go from being like solid, good contributors to guys that are like legitimate, consistent playmakers and like really impact the way that play callers call the game. Um, and we need, we need that across the board defensively. We need players at every level to take that step. Um, if we're going to make like a jump out, like I think we're going to be clear of mediocrity, pretty like strongly this year i think we'll be in the top 35 but if we want to break into that top 25 top 15 defensively it's going to take guys like birch guys like jacobs guys like johnson and williams and and um and jackson like really playing to their physical ceilings um and becoming like reliable dudes 
Yeah, and maybe that's too much to ask for in one in one off season, but maybe yeah. not. I mean, you, you know, we'll see. I think year two is often a time when defenses can make a big jump. But uh, you know, back to something you said about Tejim Johnson, I, I think if someone is primed to be kind of a, a standout difference maker in that safety group, he'd be the guy that I would I would keep my eye on there. You know, we saw we saw his highlight tapes come over from Ole Miss, and you know his his physical ability is is there to make that happen. So if he can. You know, spend spring learning the defense, figuring out where you're supposed to be, and then get into fall camp and just be in like read and react mode. Like he could be a real difference maker back there. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that he's a guy that um, elevates our like. I think he elevates us across the board. I think he's better in coverage than his predecessor, um, and I think that he's a really strong tackler and someone who excels in in, in the box as a as a run defender. Yeah, and that was something that Bennett was pretty strong at last year, right? He he was a good run support defender from the nickel spot, like you said. You know, maybe lacked some of the top end speed to be, uh, you know, or other attributes to be to be an elite cover guy. Um, so if he can, if he can be as good or even better in run support as Bennett, but bring more in pass defense, like that's a that's a big win. I mean, I just think back to like watching the all twenty two on Johnson um, after. He had hit the portal and like some of the plays that he was making in open space against Jameer Gibbs at Alabama. Like those are not easy plays to make. That's like one of the more dynamic backs in like in the country. Like he's gonna get drafted extraordinarily high this uh this coming May. And so I'm just interested to see like how that translates and what I think is actually a better system for him, where he's not being asked to play as like a de facto linebacker in that like base dime defense that will miss plays. Yeah, no, I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, we'll circle back to hit the safeties a little more in depth in a second. You know, spring ball, linebackers, last position to cover here. There's a clear top five in this room, right? I mean, you got you got Jeffrey Bossa coming back. He's been a two-year starter at inside linebacker. Uh, Justin Jacobs coming over from Iowa seems to be heavily factoring in the rotation. Keith Brown coming back for Oregon. You know, pretty solid, like, last few games of the season, Holiday Bowl. For him last year, getting more opportunities down the stretch, and and then uh, Jamal Hill moving down from safety full time into the linebacker room, and then the the fifth one, you know, giving you some props on this one, uh, Connor Connor Soley, uh, the transfer from Arizona State, which I think you you were one of the lone voices in the fandom, you know, saying, hey, you know, this kid looks, I think this kid can play, and and so far, I think all the word for practice is he's going to be a factor in that in that rotation for sure. Yeah, I mean they 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 weren't just taking a guy to waste the scholarship. I mean they're still over eighty five, right? Like, I think it was pretty clear. Like when I started watching the film on, is it Soli or Soul or whatever his last name is, um, that he's a guy that's just going to be like a very dependable, consistent player that gets to the right spot and has the physicality to finish. And like we lacked that last year, and so um, I think that he's a really high floor player. Um, I don't know that he's going to blow it up and become like an NFL draft pick, but. I think he can be a very consistent contributor for us this year. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a room that I think that's the one room I think is going to have a significant improvement in play on the field play between last year and this year. I mean, there's other rooms I think could, right. I think the safety room could be better, should be better. I think the corner room could be just as good. The, The edge play needs to be better, but I'm not sure it's there. I feel pretty confident that the linebacker play is going to be significantly improved this year. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Perfect. Let's, let's get circle to some back questions. to these last few safeties. 
um, I, just because we were going to cover that room, we kind of covered it in in the round of of the whole the whole squad there. But I did want to touch on. We talked about Addison Williams, Taishim, um, Kamari Terrell, you know, the other guys in that room, QB, and we can just run through these real quick. You know, Steve Stevens is the veteran, you know, fifth year guy. Came in with in the Javon Holland class in 2018. Has never really carved out a significant role here. He was actually higher rated um, than than Holland coming out of, out of high school. I think we saw enough of him last year to to see like he's a guy who's gonna he he knows where he's supposed to be. You know, you know he's not gonna like be woefully out of position. But you know it seems like maybe some of his top end you know, attributes or athleticism are just limiting his ability. Yeah. At this point, like he is what he is, right? Like you're not expecting massive jumps from guys who have been very consistently with, with no disrespect average. Uh, like he gets to the right spot more times than not, but then sometimes physically he's just unable to finish. Um, and so it's just a question of like, how big of a role do you want someone that's physically limited to play in your defense? Hopefully not a massive one, which is why they went out and were aggressive in the, in the portal. Like he's a guy that late in games you can trust um, like in garbage time, but is he a guy that you really want playing a bulk of competitive snaps against high quality opponents? No, not really. Um, and so um, yeah. I, I, I appreciate Stevens. I appreciate his contribution to the program over the years. But again, like read read between the lines. Like what what did the staff do this offseason to improve the safety room? Yeah, no, you're spot on. He's a guy you're happy to have on the roster as depth when you need it, um, but you don't want him playing a starting role. And I think that's clear. Uh, Kamari Terrell, you talked about a little bit. Second year guy didn't play a ton last year. Like you said, I think he's been bouncing around between nickel and safety. It sounds like you like him better at safety, or not? Oops, I was just talking to myself muted. Um, it really just depends. Like, I want to see more film of him at both. But um, based off the limited sample last year, I just don't know that he carries a big enough stick to play up closer to the line of scrimmage yet. Um, and I think that it might you might be able to carve a rollout for him backing up Addison as another, like, true rangy deep safety um, in, like, third down passing situations, maybe when he goes sub-package. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what the situation is with Damon David. You know, he kind of was with the team last year. He left the team, then he came back. I'm not sure he's if he's with the team in spring. Well, he's either. You know, Dan said today he's been hurt, so you know he, he's probably a non-factor. Uh, moving on to the four younger guys, you know, Trey John Williams, Colin Gill, Cody DeCambra, Tyler Turner. You know, I think the only one of those who'd have any shot to potentially play might be Turner. Yeah, if I had to guess, I think Turner would be the one that has a chance to play. Um, this year. I'm talking about this year. Yeah. yeah, 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 no. Again, like, I think you're looking at longer-term projections with most of those players still. Yeah. Yeah, Trey John Williams and, uh, came in last year at, well, uh, as a 22 class, and then the rest are 23 kids. So you wouldn't expect those guys to be, you know, solid contributors this year. T- Tyler Turner was the one who joined you know, for some of the bowl practices in December. So we got a little bit of a head start on some of the others, but still it's a, it's a deep room. He's a true freshman. And, and, you know, if you're, you're developing him for, for 24 and beyond, obviously along with, with the others. So yeah, let's, um, you want to do some listener questions now? Yeah, let's, uh, let's bang through these questions real quick and call it a night. Yeah, we only have a few, so it won't take too long, but I did, we did have a couple of interesting ones out there. I love to get these. Let me find them again. 
All right. The first question is from our from our regular question asker, Dick Burns. Um, who is the weak link pickleball player, Doug, J-Hop, or QB? Oh. Well, this is an easy one. Since I have never played pickleball, it would be me. Yeah. Who's yeah, the... I can, yeah. I can confidently say that I'm not the weak link. I, I'm not going to throw you under the bus, though, Doug. I threw myself under the bus. That's fine. I threw myself under the bus. That's your but, prerogative. But I, uh, I don't know. I may be the Peloton leader. I don't know. I've been riding. So. Well, I don't have one. Um, I don't think that J-Hop does. So I think that you can, you can confidently claim that crown. All right. Well, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, kind of a follow up to what we were just talking about, uh, Desert Duck 99, who do you think will have the biggest impact on the secondary this year that are either true or red shirt freshmen? Uh, Jaleel Forts. Yeah, I think by default that would have to be it. Um, either him uh, or, or Jalen Austin. Wow. Yeah. That's a, you really, you really are high on Austin. Yeah, I am. I like. I could see him playing, despite the fact that he's not an early enrollee. Wow, that would be pretty insane for him to come in, in in June and and take a spot in the rotation. Well, Florence did last year, right? Or no, he was here for spring. Yeah, he was here for spring. Yeah. And, but yeah, but he'd have to unseat either Florence, Manning, Bridges, or Jackson to to get into the t- too deep. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I don't think that's unrealistic. Like, I think that he is a pretty elite prospects again like when you think about who we flipped him from at what point in the cycle like i think that's a pretty good player well that would be a really good thing um a really good thing for oregon from a safety perspective there isn't really probably a candidate you know i'd say from the true freshman or i mean tyler turner would be the closest one or, or kamari terrell but i don't think either one of those guys are probably going to make an impact uh, outside of like significant injuries ahead of them in the depth chart. So I think, yeah, your, I think your pick of Florence is the obvious one. And with Austin being the dark horse, I like that. Um, Webfoot asked the question, which I think is moot. Who is our back, our quarterback backup plan? If we don't get either Moga or Van Buren, I think we're getting Moga. So I don't think we have to worry about this. Yeah. And I honestly think that we, well, We'll just see what happens. I think that we're gonna be pretty happy with Moga long term. He just kind of strikes me in the same way that like Jackson Dart did, or like where he's gonna blow up during his senior year. He's got really good athletic tools. All right, one final question, QB. This is a bit of a longer one that we could spend some time on. Um, drops rights. Is distance really the reason Oregon has struggled to recruit larger numbers of elite talent? Or was it the lack of infrastructure within the program that never allowed for the necessary means to recruit at a high level? Or is it a combo of all things? Because kids from California go everywhere. I'm going to assume he's talking about kind of historically and not over the last couple of cycles. Because, uh, Or unless he's saying that we're recruiting some elite talent but not enough elite talent. I, but well, for, I guess it's a three-part question. Yeah, I think I think that there was obviously a missed opportunity in the early 2010s during the Chip Kelly years to like capitalize on the on like the brand when it was probably at its hottest. Yes. Um, I also think that like if you look at where most of the elite best talent comes from, like proximity-wise, it's not the like it's not right around the corner, right? Like we're not in Dallas, Fort Worth, or Houston, or Atlanta, uh, or Florida, and so. Um, I think that obviously contributes to certain position groups, but I think that the newer staff 
has done a really good job of addressing that and like putting themselves in position to close and compete for truly elite prospects on a yearly basis. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a, like we're, we're never going to be like, for instance, I think of like a school like LSU um, and just the amount of like unadulterated insane talent that comes out of, out of, out of new Orleans and Baton Rouge and that state. Um, like we're never going to be able to do that. Like we don't have 50 division one prospects a year coming out of our state. Um, so you're going to have to go further and you're going to have to convince kids to come across the country. And like your hit rate on that is going to be lower than the hit rate for a school that has a lot of those guys right next door. Um, so. Yeah, I, I would agree with all that. I think, I think if you want to flip this question around the other day or around the other way, I mean, I think is distance the reason Oregon is a strong? Absolutely. Distance is one of the factors, right? Like, like you said, we don't have a lot of elite talent nearby. We have to go a lot further away to get, to get it. And so historically has that been um, something that has limited Oregon's recruiting ability? Absolutely. Without a doubt. There's, there's no question. Um, But I think it's also a benefit, right? Well, I, yeah, I was also going to say, I think it's something that is becoming less important to recruits, right? I mean, the world is becoming a smaller place. Recruits travel all around the country now for seven on seven and other things, right? Like people are way more willing to leave their home than they used to be even five, 10 years ago. So I think that's part of the reason why Oregon has had more success of late. I think, you know, he mentions infrastructure. Absolutely infrastructure is an issue, right? Like the fact that we have, you know, three times as many, you know, off-field staff as we did two years ago is only going to help. Yeah, I agree. I think we're on the same page when it comes to that. I think that it's just a matter of time heals wounds a little bit in some of these cases. I think that the brand is is actually strengthening right now. Um, And I think that the access to premier talent from across the country and the, the, like, those kids are more willing to move across the country than they were 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And NIL, I mean, NIL is a, like, it's a factor, right? If, I it's mean, equal, Oregon, by all, by, by all accounts, Oregon is, is, you know, has one of the, the better equipped NIL programs in the country. And that, that resonates. That helps. Yeah, I agree. All right, QB, anything else? No, that's it. I think that was a pretty damn solid episode. Yeah, it's good to have you back. Good to good to talk again. Uh, it, the we it's funny because it feels like we just did this, but it's been eight eight nine days, and the it's, the time just rolls by, and it's like, oh man, we got to get another episode out there. Yeah, I know. I apologize. Well, it's all right. We're going no, no, back no, on more of a schedule. For. And we need to get Justin back on. I think we're we're trying to still trying to work out the scheduling uh, challenges there, but we'll we'll get him back on hopefully for the next episode as well. Sounds good to me. You want to sign us off? All right. Thank you all again for listening to the QB11 show. Uh, I'm Doug Scott. That's Andrew QB11. You can follow us at, at QB11 show on Twitter.